Last Sunday, uh, Benjamin unpacked for us, Jesus is in the temple, he's looking around, he unpacked for us this prophecy that Jesus has there about the temple and that it will not last. And some 37 years later, indeed, the temple was destroyed. The Romans uh, came, it took them about four years, there were some political things that went on. 66 AD, they come, 70 AD, that temple falls it is destroyed jesus was right that's the news flash right jesus prophecy came to pass that was last week's passage this week jesus builds upon that yeah, we might miss out on how jesus is building upon that we might just read straight through we may even be confused initially on what jesus is talking about here but he has another prophecy and instead of the short view at 37 years can be called a short view He takes the long view. Here, in this passage, in a similar way, he predicts the end of this age, the end of the secular age, the end of the age after the fall of mankind. He says this age will come to an end. The temple will come to an end. It will pass away. This age will come to an end. It will pass away. I will return to usher in a new age. So that's this week's passage. And we want to dig into it. We want to understand this passage. We want to understand what this means for us as followers of Jesus Christ today. So without further ado, I'm going to read this passage. And after we're done reading it together here, we're going to pray that God would be our teacher. Listen as I read aloud. Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 25. Here's the word of God as it's recorded there. Jesus says, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. I'll invite you to pray with me now. Will you bow your heads? 
Heavenly Father, help us to understand this passage. Help us to not be distracted. Help us to keep our sights set upon Jesus Christ in excited anticipation of his return. Help us to live as faithful servants and show us what that means through this this passage of Scripture. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So full disclosure, as we're getting started here, I totally ripped off Jesus' outline for my sermon today. So Jesus is preaching a sermon here, and he has an outline. And I just ripped off his outline. But here's the deal. That's pretty much exactly what you're supposed to do if you're a pastor, right? If you're a pastor or a good Christian, you're supposed to, this is Theology 101, as much as possible say exactly what Jesus said as he said it. And so that's what I'm going to try to do today. So it's not plagiarism if you cite Jesus. This is Jesus' outline, all right? Here's what he does. He first has a lesson. He has a lesson. So that's going to be our first point. I just ripped that off. I'm like, okay, I'm going I'm to teach the lesson he teaches. So lesson's number one. And it's about his return. And then second, he gives an illustration, right? Well, that's good. You you have a lesson, and then you have an illustration. So I'm going to have an illustration here. I'm going to unpack his illustration and help you guys, hopefully, to understand his lesson better. And then third, he provides an application so that all those who are listening will know how they should live. And and that's where we're going to go with our third point. So a lesson, an illustration, an application. First, the lesson, verse 25 to verse 28. I want to ask you some questions as we dig into this lesson. You just think silently about these questions to yourself. Can you control the sun? Can you control the moon? Can you control the stars? Can you tame the sea? Can you tame its waves? Are you able to shake the heavens? Just think about those questions. Can you do any of those things? When I was in college, uh, I roomed with this guy who's actually visiting me right now. He's not here. Uh, He's lazy, and so he's going to come to second service. But uh, I roomed with this guy, my best friend from like first grade on. And so here we are, actually in graduate school, just after college, and we're rooming together. You know, two early 20-something guys in our physical prime, right? Right? It's as good as it's going to get, as capable and as powerful as we'll ever be, which, to be honest, wasn't all that capable or powerful, but whatever, right? Two guys in an apartment, rooming together in our prime. And one evening, we were in our basement, and uh, the lights just went off. And it stayed just really silent for about 10 seconds. And then we began to hear this distant howling outside, and it got progressively louder and louder. And then we started hearing this, like, deep thud. And it was like a machine gun that started picking up thuds outside against the building that we were in. And we realized we're in a tornado. And so what did we do? What did two burly young men, as strong and capable as we would ever be, do at that moment in that tornado? Well, we screamed, it's a tornado, in a rather high-pitched, scared voice. And as we were shrieking, we, we simultaneously fell on the floor and laid there, 
probably still screaming. I don't really remember. And, and you, you know, it's kind of funny, right? But that's actually what we did. That's as good as it was going to get for us. That was our finest moment at our, at our peak. That's who we were in that tornado. Completely scared, completely worried, completely pathetic. I'd like to think that I'd act differently today, but I probably wouldn't. And in, in our first few verses, that's what Jesus says, you'll be like. That's what you'll be like when he returns. Unless you've given him your life. Unless you've you trusted him as your savior and king. You're going to be just like that. On your face, screaming in fear. Undone. Jesus teaches us that even the most powerful people on earth will tremble in fear, will be face down upon the floor when they, quote, see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 27 of today's passage. On that day, Christ will come like a tornado of righteous judgment against the unrighteous, against all who throughout history opposed him as their Savior and their God. That, by the way, is precisely what Jesus is claiming with all this imagery that he is he's God. We, we maybe don't see that when we read through this passage, but that's what he's saying about himself. Many times we get caught up with, with whether Jesus will return on a cloud literally or whether Jesus will return on a cloud figuratively, and I think that's actually an open question. Uh, Orthodox, faithful believers can disagree on that question. What, what is the language communicating? Is it a literal image that we're supposed to expect one day, or more of a figurative image? When Jesus comes, it will be powerful, and we can debate that and miss the point. Whether Jesus returns riding literally or figuratively on a cloud, the main point he's making with this phrase is that he's not just a man. He's not just a man. He's God. And anyone who was in the least bit familiar with their Old Testament would have immediately picked this up. All the people there, knowing their Old Testament scriptures, would have understood that he was saying something about himself, which he shouldn't say, of course, unless it's true. Let me give you a sense of what I mean by that. Just consider these verses from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 26. There's no one like God who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. No one like God. No one rides on the clouds except for God in his majesty. Or Psalm 68 verse 4. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. Who do you praise? Well, the one who can ride on the clouds. That's who you praise. That's God. Or Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, a verse which seems a lot like the verse we're looking at today. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble and the Egyptians melt with fear. Why? Because they're on the wrong side of the righteousness of God. But only God can come riding on the clouds. None of their idols can. None of their gods can. Only God. 
Here's a lesson. Jesus is God. It's as simple as that. Jesus is God, the glory and the majesty of God, the power of God, the control over sun, moon, or stars, over the sea and its raging waves belongs to Jesus. And when he comes, we will see it. He can shake the heavens. He is God, and one day he will return, and he will return as judge of all things. For those who oppose him, there will be distress, perplexity, and fainting with fear. There will be destruction. But not for the faithful. Not for the Christian. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then he encourages you, quote, when these things begin to raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Verse 28. Your redemption is is drawing near. This is good news for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this isn't the time for fear and trembling. This is the time for celebration. This is good news for you. Come, Lord Jesus. You want this. This is the best day ever if you're a follower of Jesus. Your redemption is near. And eternity with Christ will never disappoint. We have pedestrian views of eternity. We need to stretch our imaginations. It will never disappoint. If you're a Christian, look forward to this. Pray for this. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Pray for this day. Work now. Work hard for the kingdom of God here on earth. But pray and look forward to his coming. That's good news for us. That's the great day that we long for. And if you're a non-Christian, you're here today, know this. This is important. That day is not this day. This is the day of mercy. There is time to turn. So turn to Jesus. And you too on that great day will not tremble with fear. You also will experience redemption. Well, after that lesson... About his return, Jesus gives us an illustration. Verse 29 to verse 33. Here's what he says. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, the signs, you know the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. He's got a little illustration about the trees, fig tree and all the trees. Let me say two things about the illustration and then hopefully bring clarity to a potentially confusing statement that is found here. A statement that's caused much consternation among people. But first, the two things. First, First thing, the illustration's point should be super clear. Jesus says, just as you know summer is near when trees begin to bud and and show their leaves, which all of us have experienced, you know the summer's coming when you see that, you should also know that my return is drawing near when you see these signs. Jesus is saying, look, 
you can read the natural world around you. You can read the coming of the seasons when you see the signs of the coming of the seasons. So too, you should be able to read the supernatural world around you. You should look for these signs and be able to read that and know that my coming is drawing near. He says, be on alert. Be looking for it. Know that it's coming. It's sure. It's certain when these signs start to appear. Be able to interpret the supernatural seasons just like you can interpret the natural seasons. And if we can do that, then there's no distressing for us. There's no fainting for fear with us. We're not undone. We're aware and we're waiting and we're looking for it. So that's the illustration's point. Second thing. There is no question that the things Jesus predicts here will happen. That's something else he makes abundantly clear. There's no question that these things are going to happen. His words, he says, are far more sturdy than heaven and earth. Just pause with me for a second and think about that. My words are far more sturdy than heaven and earth. That is another divine claim. Okay, just think for a second if you were to say that and mean it about yourself. Like, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. People would think you needed to be institutionalized if you said something like that about yourself, wouldn't wouldn't they? And you really meant it. You might hope if you, you say really profound things, if you write them down in books, you might hope that someday all of those things will make it into the great book series. That it might make it into the Harvard classics. You might hope that your words would last as long as civilization lasts. But you would never expect it to outlast creation. You would never say that your words were going to stick around longer than the heavens and the earth were going to stick around. But that is precisely what Jesus says about his words. Because he says he is the one who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. You see, that's a claim to being God. He and his words predated creation. He and his words will outlast creation. I am God, Jesus says. People would have picked up on this stuff. We should too. Now, let's discuss what has caused a good deal of confusion in these verses. What about the timing of all these events? What about the timing of Jesus' return? It has been about 2,000 years since he said these things, and we're still waiting. And more to the point, Jesus seems to indicate that it would happen rather quickly in this passage. Here's what he says, verse 32. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now, certainly, those people who are listening to him on that day are no longer with us. Right? They, they passed away. That generation of people who were listening to Jesus that day passed away. But all of the things that Jesus is talking about here, I don't think anybody here is going to argue they all have taken place. So what's going on there? Was Jesus wrong? Was Jesus mistaken? Some people have actually concluded that Jesus was wrong. 
That he, he was mistaken about what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. But I actually think those people are the ones who were mistaken. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about here. Jesus is talking about future events and to the generation who will see those events. Yes, he has an original audience. He also has a future audience. And he's talking about these future events coming. And he's talking to that audience who will see the beginning of those future events. He's talking about the beginning of the end. And he wants all who will see the beginning of these things to be ready and not surprised. Moreover, and this is the main point. I think this helps bring clarity to his words here. He wants those who see the beginning of the end to know that they will see the end of the end too. In other words, Jesus is saying, once these things begin to happen, they will happen quickly. The generation who sees the beginning of them will see also the end of them, his return in glory and with power. So Jesus looks to a future audience and he says to them, maybe that audience is us. When you see these things taking place, Know that they will happen quickly. I hope that brings clarity for those who may have wondered about these words. It's, they're meant to be encouraging. And if, if my words, if what I've just said did not bring you clarity, I want you to come up after the service and talk to me. This is an important point. This is a point where we're helped to trust the Bible, the word of God. And so I want to help you be encouraged by Jesus' words here. So don't hesitate. If you, you still don't understand, you're still not clear on how this works out, don't hesitate to come after the service and talk to me about it. I, I want to have this conversation with you if you don't understand. Let's move briefly to the final point in this little prophetic sermon by Jesus. He gets very practical here at the end. Let's look at it. An application. Verse 34 to verse 38. Jesus wants us to know how we should live in light of what he just shared with us about his return. Here's what he says. But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. So in a nutshell, Jesus encourages us to be ready and to be about the things of God. To not be distracted by the fleeting pleasures or the temporary cares of this lifetime. He instructs us to use what we have in the here and now for his glorious purposes. He tells us to, to not give up hope, but to persevere until our death or until his return, whichever comes first. But for the most part, we don't have a problem understanding what Jesus is telling us to do here. Right? It's pretty clear what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. Instead, our trouble is trusting him in all this. Our trouble is not being distracted. Our trouble is really believing that he's on the move, that he's truly returning. And we have trouble believing that that day will be better than this day. That's the distraction that confronts us most often. That that time will be better than this time. 
We like our pleasures too much. We imagine they're greater than they are. We imagine that they'll satisfy us. I just want you to think for a second. Think about the pleasures that you have pursued in this fallen world. Think about the things you've tried to give yourself over to, the things you thought would fill you up. Just think about that for a second, whatever they are. Did any of them last? Did they bring you the kind of satisfaction and pleasure you desired? Did any of them work for you? And Jesus confronted this all the time in his ministry. And oftentimes, when people thought that they could fill themselves with something other than him, other than God, he would just send them off. Well, go try. That's a dangerous business. But you'll learn pretty quickly when you try that there's nothing here that can really bring you the kind of satisfaction you're looking for, the kind of peace you need. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden. We want the fruit so bad. We want it now. We want it in our timing. And we don't trust God for what's coming. I have a good friend, not the same one who's visiting by the way, who took each of his sons out to McDonald's when they turned 13 or 14. I don't remember what the age was. He would take them to McDonald's. And, uh, you know, he'd usually wait till they were good and hungry anyway. And then he would go to McDonald's and he would tell them, hey, whatever's on the menu, you can, you can order. But if you trust me and you wait, there's something better in store. So here's this, you know, teenage boy as hungry as only teenage boys can get, at McDonald's, knowing he can have whatever he wants now, but knowing that there's a promise of something better later. And so, you know, he's a good dad, so his sons are like, okay, I trust dad said something better, I'm going I'm to wait. And then my friend would go and order something, like a Big Mac and a large fries and a Coke, and they would sit down together. And he would begin to eat. So he'd unwrap his Big Mac, his fries, he'd lay it out and start eating right in front of his teenage son. Can you imagine that? I mean, half of the audience here is like, I was a teenage boy once. You know, it's like, so his kid is watching him eat this, and he's chewing slowly, and he's enjoying it, and they're talking, and his kid is just sitting there not eating anything and just feeling like this couldn't be any harder. This is the worst thing ever. And then after he was finished, right, 15 minutes, which probably felt like 15 years for the son, after he was finished, he crumpled up his trash, put it in the bag, put the bag in the trash can, and he looked at his son and he said, any restaurant in town, any restaurant in town, there is no restaurant that is off limits to you. There is nothing on the menu that is off limits to you. You can have whatever you want. And suddenly his son recognized that he was going to enjoy a feast that he couldn't have imagined before because he trusted his father. And because he waited. My friend is like our good God in that way. Our friend is like our Lord Jesus Christ in that way. And we are like his teenage sons. We are hungry in this world. There are all kinds of things that we think will fill us up in this world. But he wants more for us. He wants better for us. And he promises it. He says, wait. He says, trust me. Eternity is is compared to a wedding feast. 
We don't do weddings very well in our culture. It's more a show. Weddings should be a party, a celebration, a peak event. God is saying, eternity with me is going to be a peak event that never climaxes. Always getting better. Always more glorious. So enjoyable. He wants that for us. He wants that for us. He's offering that to us. And so he says, Jesus says here, I'm coming back. That's certain. Don't go in for the temporary pleasures. Don't go in for fast food pleasures. Trust me. Wait. Be faithful. Persevere. And it will be glorious. It will be glorious. Do you want fast food pleasures? Is that what you want? Is that enough for you? And Jesus Christ isn't for you. But if you want more, if this life has nothing that really satisfies you, then Jesus says, come. He says, come. Trust in me. And when I return, glory awaits you. Let me pray that we'd be the kind of church that in this fallen world life waits on our Lord, looks for our Lord's return, trusts in him, and serves him eagerly now. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is good. It is a reminder that we all need. And we thank you for your promises. We thank you that, Jesus, you are coming back. And may we be a people that don't get caught up in the temporary pleasures of this life. But look to that glorious day when you will come and uh, praise you and work for you now while we're waiting. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.